And what's going on, everyone? Welcome back to Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Garrett Haven. As always, you can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. And you can follow our social pages on Twitter and on Facebook for the latest updates. So as you may have noticed from the uh, from the uh, social updates, we're recording uh, today on Tuesday instead of Monday. I had some plans yesterday, so uh, we are coming to you guys on Tuesday. Uh, really excited, a lot to get to, a lot of Patriots, a lot of Bruins, a lot of Celtics. That's kind of what it's going to look like today. And then there's, you know, obviously baseball playoffs. There's uh, NFL Week 5, plenty of stuff to get to. Uh, before we get going, I would like to thank uh, Eric Bellier for uh, coming on the show once again. Uh, great talking to him about the uh, baseball playoffs. You know, unfortunately, uh, Eric's Mets have been eliminated, so uh, we'll get to that when we talk about the playoffs. But uh, it was really fun talking to Eric. Eric's one of the best uh, one of the best guests uh, that I've had, you know, very, very knowledgeable about baseball. You know, one of my best friends from college, and uh, it was a great conversation. So, yeah, if you haven't checked that out yet, you can on uh, Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. Got a great uh, Guest Friday conversation for you guys later this week. Uh, so really looking forward to that on Friday. But we're going to focus on uh, what we caught in front of us, the uh, Patriots uh, with a big win on Sunday against the Detroit Lions, 29-0 the final score. Uh, Patriots were excellent in this game. You know, really one of these games that I thought they played excellent in every phase of the game. Um, it was almost a perfect game. You know, if you look at the very few mistakes that they made, you know, none of them really cost them anything. You know, I think you had some penalties. You know, you had your um, interception from, you know, Aguilar's hands, which, you know, really not at fault of the quarterback. But, you know, other than that, the Patriots played an almost perfect game um, against the Lions. You know, really the Lions were not able to get into a rhythm at all the entire game. You know, really, the only time they threatened was in the first quarter, Jack Jones, with an unbelievable play for the interception. You know, I think that starting there, the defense was just amazing in this game. This was probably their best defensive effort in quite some time. Um, It just seemed like multiple guys had really good games. You know, Jones was awesome. It's just, he's, I think, just a perfect... He's a perfect player for the role that the Patriots have him in, that he can be someone that can be a gambler. He can be someone that can be someone that can take advantage of mistakes or can go up and make a play with his athleticism. And I think he just really gives them such kind of another dangerous element of their defense that they can put him in there and he can be a gambler. You know, he can be in position to make a play like that, but also you know, if he misses on a gamble, also have the ability to have guys, you know, back there so that if he does make a mistake, which it's going to happen, you know, I think that he's played well, but the way that he plays, there are bound to be mistakes. I think that the Patriots have a type of defense that can withstand mistakes like that. I mean, I don't think that the Patriots are yet going to put Jack into a position where he has to you know, go one-on-one with with a receiver on the outside. You know, I think the Patriots are going to have him in positions, they're going to put him in positions to succeed. 
um, and he was excellent. Uh, the defensive line was great. Judon was outstanding. You know, uh, uh, those couple of sacks, obviously, the defensive touchdown. Um, the defense was really just all over Detroit in this game. Uh, the Lions obviously coming in with the highest scoring offense in the league. You know, they'd been on fire in the first couple of weeks of the season. You know, of course, they were missing some key guys. You know, they were down two receivers. They were down DeAndre Swift and Amon Ross St. Brown, you know, clearly was not fully 100% in that game to have a couple catches. But the Patriots, you know, for all intents and purposes, took TJ Hawkinson completely out of the game. Uh, Jared Goff really had nowhere to go with the ball a lot of times. And I think that you could see that, okay, this could have told you why the Patriots struggled so much in the passing game against the Ravens. Kyle Duggar, not available in that game. Mark Andrews obviously had a monster game at two touchdowns. You saw Kyle Duggar most of the time be matched up with Hawkinson, took him out of the game. And so I think, not to say, oh, with a healthy Duggar, the Patriots beat the Ravens, but I think it would have been interesting if he had played that game, have him go up against Mark Andrews, who, like Hawkinson, is one of the best tight ends in the league. You know, it could have been a different equation if uh, Duggar was healthy for that game. But Duggar, obviously excellent in this game, had the fumble recovery for a touchdown. Um, and the Patriots just playing at a really, really high level defensively, I think, in the last in the last two games especially. You know, I know that, yes, they lost to Green Bay and Rodgers did have some, some good plays and good throws. But the Patriots really, I think, did a solid job defensively in that game in Green Bay, and then obviously were outstanding on Sunday. So just, I think, another really good performance. And I think a performance that the Patriots really had been waiting for this season, you know, a game that, okay, you can be in control the entire game. Because I think if you look at all the games the Patriots have played, they have either been, you know, in a dogfight where the game's been close or they've been chasing a score. Um, and so I just think from a from just like a mental standpoint that, okay, we can have a game where we feel totally comfortable and, you know, they can build off a game like this. And I think going into kind of a tough game in Cleveland, you really kind of want all the positive momentum that you can get. Um, and I think that you saw a lot of positives from the defense, but also from the run game. I mean, for Andre Stevenson was unbelievable. You know, I think really this is the game that made me realize, okay, this is a guy who could legitimately be your number one running back for the next couple of years. You know, no offense to Damian Harris, who did leave the game with a hamstring injury, but I think kind of Stevenson might be your guy. And I think in Harris's contract year, you know, Stevenson could be asking questions that, okay, do the Patriots consider not bringing back Damian Harris? Do they think that Stevenson's their guy? I mean, I think obviously... If that's the case, the Patriots do need to have some sort of backup plan because right now you have two rookies, Kevin Harris and Pierre Strong, that haven't seen the field yet this year. You know, Ty Montgomery's on injured reserve, won't be back, at least won't be back this week. You know, J.J. Taylor's on the practice squad. So, you know, you really don't have a whole lot of depth. So, you know, I think that's kind of a pressing concern for right now, but Stevenson was amazing on Sunday, 161 yards, uh, I think was the second highest rushing total 
um, in NFL Week 5. So, you know, just outstanding. You know, 49-yard run in the first half. Um, just has such a great combination of size and speed and physicality. You know, it's a guy that I think, I think there was something crazy that he had like 100 yards after first contact or something like that. And it's like, that really tells you he's a guy that wants to run with physicality, that that almost helps his game, you know, 6.4 yards per carry um, in that game. He really was the only guy that did anything in the running game. You know, Harris just had four carries in this game. Um, but I think you saw kind of a, I don't want to say like old school is the right thing to say, because I do think the Patriots did have a decent passing game in this game. You know, the Patriots put Bailey Zappi in a position to succeed. And I do think the coaching staff, uh, for, for all the things people have said about them, specifically the offensive coaching staff, I think that, you know, they deserve some credit for this game because they think they put Zappi in a position to succeed. And okay, yes, they're playing the Lions. Lions had probably, they probably have the worst defense in the league, but I think even still, putting him in a position position to succeed, you know, giving him easy throws, the Patriots were able to get Hunter Henry involved, really involved into a game for kind of the first time this year. Jacoby Myers returns and was, you know, his usual self. Touchdown reception, 111 yards. So, you know, he was good. But I did think that Zappi did a great job with his pocket presence. You know, it really seemed like he was thrown into the game in Green Bay and really just had no idea what to do. And I think you could see the improvement in his game. And I think that it could have been as simple as, okay, he was going into Green Bay with no expectation that he was going to play. Yes, he was the backup, but I think even when you're the backup, you don't really have an expectation that you're going to get in in certain situations. And you know, he comes in against a Green Bay defense that's one of the best in the league. And, you know, he kind of looked nervous, kind of looked lost. And I think the offensive line, you know, obviously a huge part to, had, a, had a huge part to do with that um, on Sunday, how comfortable he was in the pocket and, you know, made, made all the throws very accurate. You know, 17 for 21. One of the throws was, you know, off of Aguilar's hands in an interception. So, you know, really, he was very accurate, you know, got a couple of guys involved. You know, I think that there's some people that would have liked other more guys to be involved other than just Myers and Henry, but I think it did the job. You know, I think that that's kind of the important thing when you're in a position that the Patriots were in, playing a third stringer and being like, okay, we just have to make things easy for him. And I think having Myers healthy and in the lineup was huge because he's in my opinion, he's their number one receiver. He's kind of the safety valve, kind of that go-to guy. And I think having that guy made things very easy for Zappi. And I think getting Hunter Henry involved was huge as well because he's a guy very sure-handed. And I think that the Patriots want to try to see him more involved um, in the passing game. So it's not just, you know, your Myers, your Aguilar, your Bournes, your Devontae Parkers. You want to have you know, as many guys as you can uh, to assist that passing attack. So I think sticking with the offense, you know, talking about how good Myers was, um, you know, I really think that 
the Patriots are reaching a point that they need to figure out what they're going to do with Nelson Aguilar. Um, I think that, you know, to his credit, he's had some good games. He's had some good moments this season, but he's had some bad moments. You know, I think arguably you could say he has cost the Patriots one game and may have cost them another. You know, I think you think about the, the fumbles in the Miami game and the Baltimore game. You know, I do really think that Baltimore game was on his, you know, was on his shoulders uh, with that fumble in the fourth quarter. And, you know, here again, he loses the ball. It's an interception. You know, I think you could, one could argue that it's a, that it was a fumble for all intents and purposes that, you know, he has the ball, he loses it. But, you know, I do think the Patriots do need to figure out what they're going to do because I understand that, yes, he had a strong preseason, had a strong training camp, but I think at what point do you see a player being a detriment to the team? And I think that we're kind of starting to see that. And I do think that the return or the uh, debut, I should say, of Tyquan Thornton makes me think that the Patriots might want to get him more involved um, because, I'm sorry, at the end of the day, you can't have one of your players, one of your, you know, I I don't want to say top players in terms of like best players, but I think Aguilar is one of the guys that is going to have the ball in his hands a lot. And you can't have the risk that he's going to drop a ball or he's going to fumble. And I think, you know, giving the kid a chance could be something to, to look at in these next few games. Um, I think that Thornton brings a very similar element to the game that Aguilar does. Someone that's a field stretcher, someone that, has great speed and can utilize that speed on downfield throws. So I think that the Patriots could certainly use more of Thornton. Um, this is not to say that Aguilar is necessarily going to be benched because I think that as much as he's had his issues, you want to keep as many potential playmakers on the field as you can. And I know that people might listen to that and think, okay, well, how come Kendrick Bourne isn't getting those opportunities? Well, you know, I don't know if I can tell you that. He did play a high percentage of the snaps on Sunday. And I do think that this was not a game where it's like you're expecting every receiver to have four or five targets. You know, I think that the Patriots were trying to play a conservative kind of way of offense where it was easy for a third-string quarterback with, you know, making his first career start that they're not going to be making him throw the they're not going to make him throw the football all over the yard. So I was pretty impressed with Tyquan Thornton, you know, didn't really make too much of an impact. Had a couple catches, but I think to see his progression in the next few weeks is going to be really important. You know, hopefully there is some continuity with the quarterback, although I wouldn't hold my breath on that. You know, I think that there is a distinct possibility that we could see Mac Jones play in Cleveland next week. Um, and if not, we probably see him on Monday night against the uh, Bears. So, you know, I'm curious to see what goes on with, with Thornton, what goes on with Aguilar. You know, do we see a decrease in, in, in snaps? Do we see a decrease in targets? You know, I guess I'd be surprised um, because it's like at this point, the Patriots keep putting him on the field. So, you know, I kind of don't really know what to think. Um, with that, but it is good to see Myers back and having another receiver in the fold like Thornton, I think is only going to make things easier for whoever the quarterback's going to be, whether it's Mac Jones, whether it's Bailey Zappi. So 
I think definitely this week, pay attention to Mac Jones and his per- per- participation in practice um, because it sounds like he was very, a lot farther along last Friday than he was the Friday before. So I think that at least tells you that, okay, maybe he could have an outside possibility of being available Sunday in Cleveland. Personally, I think looking at the uh, personnel of Cleveland's defense, I mean, I don't know. I think me personally, I'd like to see Max sit another week just so they can be overly cautious and, you know, it may be a struggle for Zappi because you're going against a defense that at times can be very strong. You know, they did lose to the Chargers on Sunday and the defense didn't play particularly well, but I do think that anytime you have Miles Garrett and Jadavion Clowney on a defense, you have talent. So, you know, there's always a concern that the offensive line could have a bad game. Um, they certainly didn't on Sunday, but it's possible, you know, with someone like Miles Garrett and, you know, how talented he is. So I think my personal preference would be to see Zappi get another game um, and just to see what he can do against defense like that. Because I think the last thing you want to do is have Mac play Sunday in Cleveland and then, you know, something happens. You know, he's running for a first down and Miles Garrett tackles him from behind and, you know, the ankle gets caught up or something like that. So I think the Patriots are not going to put Mac Jones out on the field unless he is 100%. So... I don't think that he plays Sunday. I mean, I think that there is a distinct possibility that he could be a game-time decision, but I do think that at this point the Patriots need to err on the side of caution um, because they are in a stretch of games that they are fairly winnable, you know, no matter who the quarterback is. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see Zappi again on Sunday, but who knows? You know, you could possibly see Mac Jones in there. Uh, But taking a further look at the Browns, um, you know, obviously they're a team that is ironically kind of built similar to the Patriots um, in that they're kind of built on a very strong running game of good defense, you know, a solid quarterback that I think takes care of the football. Mac Jones hasn't exactly taken great care of the football so far this season, but I think that Zappi has. But, you know, Brissett, we obviously know very well from his time in New England, um, is kind of mostly going to be a pocket passer. You know, does have the ability to run, pick up the occasional first down, but Nick Chubb is really the the, the big concern with uh, the Patriots' defense. I did think that the run defense was very good against Detroit, um, and the Patriots really dominated their their offensive line. So, you know, the trench battle is going to be very interesting. If the Patriots can they penetrate or they can they can they generate enough penetration where the run game is not a big issue? You know, I think that the issue with that Baltimore game was that Jackson had the ability to run as well or better than the running backs. I don't think Brissett's gonna be a guy that's gonna be as dangerous as Jackson, so I do think that element is kind of out of it for this game, but you know, Chubb is really good, Kareem Hunt is really good. He's very tough to bring down. So, you know, I think the defense is going to have their hands full. You know, this is a game where the offense can help out the defense by 
you know, holding on to the ball and winning kind of that time of possession because if that defense is on the field for too much of the game, you know, Nick Chubb is going to, you know, is going to wear down that defense for the majority of the game. So I think that's where you kind of continue to be smart on offense. Do not put your quarterback in a position where he's going to potentially make mistakes. And I think on the Patriots side, you run the ball. You know, you run the ball with your offensive line that's been really good over the last couple of weeks. I think that with Stevenson and, you know, whoever else is available, you, you know, kind of control the clock, control the game. And I think do the best that you can so that your defense is not, you know, tired and on the field late in the fourth quarter when, you know, you're down by a field goal and you need to get the ball back. So um, this is not going to be an easy game for the Patriots. I think a uh, very distinct possibility that they lose this game. But I think if the turnovers are down, if they can control the time of possession, I think that they have a good chance of winning. But I do think that this very easily could come down to a game where it comes down to a game-changing mistake. And I think the Patriots have to hope that you know, it's Brissett that makes the mistake and not Zappi or Jones or whoever it is. Um, I think that I'm hoping that the Patriots can have Kyle Duggar available in this game. I don't have any reason to think that he wouldn't play, but I'm curious to see how the Patriots match up with some of the receivers that Cleveland has. Um, Amari Cooper's had a decent season so far. You know, David Njoku's had a really good year as their tight end, so... I'm curious to see what the Patriots do to kind of defend against Cleveland's passing attack. Um, and Cleveland's secondary can be pretty good. So I think the Patriots are going to have their hands full um, in a couple of different ways. I think that the receivers and the quarterback are going to have to be on the same page because this is a defense that I think can take advantage of mistakes. They can take advantage of miscommunication. So the quarterback and the receivers are going to have to communicate. The offensive line is going to have to be really solid. So this is going to be close. I do think it's going to be close. I think that very real possibility this goes to overtime. You could see, you know, a similar game to the Packers game. But um, I do have a good feeling about this team, especially after the win on Sunday. So who knows? But I think... Uh, I think Patriots win it on a field goal. I really think they do. I think that uh, they make enough plays and they get their team in position to, you know, kick a winning field goal. We see Nick, Nick Folk uh, hit a winner and the Patriots uh, get back to 500. Uh, so I think that's probably going to do it for the Patriots. We will return to um, NFL Week 5 later in the podcast. So now we are going to get to the Bruins as uh, their season is upon us. We are the uh, the eve of the Bruins season opener, the eve before the Bruins uh, season opener tomorrow night in Washington, D.C. Bruins and Capitals. Uh, it's really exciting. It's a really exciting time of year to be a hockey fan and a Bruins fan. The season actually uh, starts tonight on ESPN. There are a couple of hockey games, but very excited for this Bruins team. Um, I think that clearly there are going to be growing pains, I think, through the first couple months of the season uh, without Marchand and McAvoy, but I do think the Bruins are set up pretty well for this. You know, I think that clearly it's going to be some getting used to with different guys in the lineup and, 
you know, different guys, I think, playing larger roles than possibly expected. Um, but I do think that Jim Montgomery is going to have this group ready. Um, and I do think that this group is motivated and hungry because I don't think, I don't think a lot of people are counting on them to have a great season. I think that they are in this position where they're kind of underrated. I think the Bruins are being underrated a little bit. I think they're being slept on a little bit. Um, I think especially when they get healthy, they have the potential to be a very good team. I mean, I think without, without arguably your, your two best players, I know that that's very arguable, but I think being without two of your best players, um, it's going to be up to a lot of different guys to step up. So I'm excited for this group, you know, finally that the uh, training camp's over, preseason's over. I think that just for me, preseason takeaways, I think the short period of time that we saw the line of Pavel Zaka, David Krejci, and David Pasternak, they were amazing. You know, if you saw any of the game uh, Wednesday in New York last week, you know, the, the, the trio of them each scored in the second period, and they look like they've been playing for years. So I think that that was something I was curious about. What is David Krejci going to look like? What is Zaka going to look like? And they both have been excellent. Uh, they really have. And I think <laughs> Pasta is going to be Pasta. He's going to be really good again. You know, I think that uh, the Bruins would like to get that contract signed uh, as soon as possible. I mean, I think that uh, based on comments yesterday at Media Day, it does sound like the Bruins want to get this done. He wants to get this done. And I think it's really just up to the you know money and figures. And I think the Bruins are not really concerned that this might go into the season. Um, it just seems like kind of the, the rhetoric around this is good. It's all positive that David wants to be here. The Bruins want him and they're willing to, you know, give him a good amount of money. So I think you can probably expect that in the next couple of weeks that the Bruins get him signed. But anyway, the three of them were incredible. Um, they've been really good. It's, it looks like they've been playing together for five years. Um, I think it's interesting that the trio of them played so well and played so well at a time where it was pretty much assumed that Taylor Hall was going to be on that second line, and then he goes down with an injury, and you know, then the Bruins put Zaka Krejci and, and Pasternak together, and they look great. Um, I think that Jake DeBrusque looks motivated. He looks ready to go. Uh, Jakob Saboral, I think, has looked really good at times. You know, I think there was some concern with him coming off the um, ACL tear last year, but I thought that he was really good in camp. I think that there were some preseason games where he kind of looked like he was the best player on the ice, so I think that that's a good sign, too. I think Jack Stadnika really impressed with his preseason, um, and I think he's earned a job to be on this opening night roster uh, tomorrow night. So I thought he was great. You know, McLaughlin obviously had a great training camp. You know, we'll talk about him in a moment. But I think that there were a lot of guys that had really strong camps. Um, and I think that really, when I think about it, there aren't too many guys that had, you know, not a great camp. I mean, Trent Frederick's one of those guys that I think that Cam Neely said yesterday they would have liked to see more from him in the preseason. So honestly, that's a little bit concerning because I think the Bruins kind of want to figure out what he is as a player. And I think figuring out what that is, getting that through to him and then getting through to him that he needs to be a consistent player because 
I think as much as the Bruins brought in Jim Montgomery to get the most out of young guys, at a certain point, it is kind of on the player to be able to kind of become a, a contributor. And I think, you know, the coaching staff can do all they can, but I think that, you know, Trent needs to recognize that he's got to be more consistent. So, you know, I think that, yes, you want to bring in a coach that's going to give the younger guys more of a chance. But at the same time, there are guys that have to, you know, prove that they belong with their play. And that's something that I think Stednika has done in camp. That's something that, you know, Jacob Lauko has done in camp. Um, and they, you know, have stuck around as long as they've stuck around. And, you know, look, I think that not all the young guys are going to respond the way that you want, unfortunately. And I think that's just the way it goes. But I do think, you know, before I get into Mark McLaughlin, I think that people are kind of missing the point of hiring Jim Montgomery, that I think people think that the hiring is because, oh, the Bruins need to play the young guys more. It's a little more complex than that. I don't think it's, a, it's, it's as simple as that. I think it's, you want to give the younger guys more of an opportunity and give them the ability to make mistakes and, you know, not hammer a guy because he's made mistakes, you know, not bench someone because they have a bad game or two. You know, I think it's to try to get the most out of those guys by trying to hold them accountable and trying to, you know, I don't know. I don't think it's, it's not as simple as, oh, they just need to give the young guys more ice time. It's like, no, that's part of it. But I do think that, you know, you want to give them more of an opportunity. And I think that that's kind of the point. Um, kind of getting into before the season, some like injury updates, uh, Taylor Hall as I said, you know, did suffer the injury in preseason, but it looks like he might be healthy and ready to go tomorrow night. So, you know, it is interesting that the Bruins envisioned him on a line with Krejci and Pasternak, and, you know, now Zaka gets put on that line, and they're lighting it up, and so Taylor Hall looks like will be playing with Patrice Bergeron and Jake DeBrusque on that first line, which, you know, gets me very, very excited. Uh, the rest of the lineup, I think, is kind of kind of in flux a little bit. We'll take a look at that in a moment. But uh, Bruins also had Matt Grislyk practicing a lot this week, which uh, was really a, a welcome sign. And I think that uh, he might be closer to a return than we could possibly even imagine. You know, I think that knowing that he was going to be one of the three guys that was going to return earliest from the surgeries, you know, the expectation was early November, but it's like he's been practicing. I think mostly he's been practicing in a non-contact jersey. But I think he might be even closer to a return than we could we could have imagined a couple months ago. So that would be great to see him in the fold. I don't know if he plays on Wednesday night, but very good chance that you see him in the lineup within the first couple of weeks of the season. So that is really exciting. Makes things a little bit difficult with the defense, but uh, I think that. The Bruins would like to see him in the lineup as early as possible. Um, so obviously, there were you know some tough decisions the Bruins had to make um, in preseason. You know, having to make some some roster cuts that I think may have upset some people and may have had some people confused. You know, I think that uh, Mark McLaughlin kind of was the main one where the Bruins 
you know, obviously had the ability to put him down to Providence without having to go through waivers. And I do think that that could have had something to do with the reason why the Bruins sent him down. You know, not necessarily that they should have, but they could. So I do think that Mark had a great preseason, great training camp, and I think really showed up with the mentality that, yes, he got into some games last year, but that was not, you know, his role was not going to be guaranteed. And I think that came in, played well, scored a couple goals in preseason, uh, really was, I think, one of the best Bruin forwards in the preseason. Um, and I think that him being sent down was a little bit of a surprise. It was a surprise to me as well. But I also think that one of the some of the things that Montgomery said, you know, that they want Mark to work on a couple of different things. It kind of had me thinking a little bit that they think if the if if, McGlo- if McLaughlin made this Bruins roster, you likely see him on the fourth line and playing him fourth line right wing. You know, because he's going to be behind in terms of the right wingers that you have or guys playing right wing right now. It's DeBrusk, it's Pasternak, it's Craig Smith. You know, are you really going to put McLaughlin in the top nine? I don't think so. Um, and so I think if you're putting him on the fourth line, he plays, what, 10, 11, 12 minutes a night. You know, not going to play in the power play. You know, maybe he kills penalties, but you're not going to really be able to see him play in a lot of different roles. Now, I think if he plays in Providence, he's probably playing closer to 18 minutes a night. He's probably most likely is going to be on the power play. Most likely you see him kill penalties. And so I think it makes sense for him to have kind of a larger role in Providence than whatever role he would have here. Um, And I think that people might disagree and people may think that that doesn't make sense, but it kind of makes sense to me that you want to be able to see him be able to get more season to the pro game. And yes, he played 11 games last year. And he looked like he was ready, but I do think that I don't think there's a negative to have sending him down to Providence to work on his game a little bit more. And I think that Mark has a good head on his shoulders that I think understands why he was sent down. And I think hopefully has a good attitude that, you know, okay, I'm going to go down to Providence. I'm going to prove myself and. I can be that first guy that gets called up if there's an injury or something something like that. So, you know, it's going to be what it's going to be, but I do think that this should not be an, indica- an, an indicative of, you know, the Bruins hiring a coach that's going to give more opportunities to young guys and then being like, oh, well, you know, we're going to send this young guy down. It's like, you know, there are other young guys that have gotten – opportunities on this team and there are younger guys that played well in training camp you know you look at someone like Jacob Lauko who you know really stayed on this Bruins team almost to the start of the regular season you know I think he got sent down to Providence yesterday as the Bruins tried to do some salary cap uh, gymnastics and they probably still have to do some things before uh, before the game on Wednesday but I thought that he played well in the preseason, and I just think that it's easy to fixate on one guy that gets sent down, 
But I think the other thing is you want to look at some of the younger guys who have played well, who have gotten an opportunity, and you look at someone like Lauko, who I think had a good preseason, has great speed, you know, gets to those inside areas on the ice, is not afraid to mix it up and not afraid to go into dirty areas. And I think having him have a good camp, having Stadnika have a good camp, you know, A.J. Greer, I think also is someone that's gotten an opportunity, and I would consider him a young guy too. He doesn't have very much NHL experience, but those are three guys right there that have gotten a chance, gotten an opportunity, and have proven that they belong. And I think that's what we should be focusing on rather than being like, oh my God, why did they send this guy down? You know, but I think it's going to be what it's going to be. But I do expect that McLaughlin will get in plenty of games in Boston before before the regular season is over. So the Bruins did make some, you know, interesting decisions. I think uh, putting the guys on waivers yesterday, Wagner, Felino, and uh, Mike Riley, really just kind of paper moves, you know, to kind of be able to get under the salary cap as they had to do before five o'clock yesterday. So I think that it was just kind of to do that. Maybe some of those guys did not take being put on waivers super well, but, you know, it's going to be what it's going to be. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see with the Bruins now putting uh, Charlie McAvoy on long-term injured reserve. They have some wiggle room to bring up maybe a couple of those guys uh, that got sent down. And then, you know, Anton Strahlman is also in play still, um, as the Bruins still have him on a professional tryout has not signed a contract. I think that, I think it's pretty clear that it is, you know, Anton's decision that if he does want to play here, he can sign and the Bruins can kind of go from there. Um, if he doesn't sign, probably figures that the guys they put on waivers, you know, will be back up with the team, Riley, Felino, and Wagner. Um, kind of curious to see what goes on there. The Bruins um, do have the official roster for the season. The Bruins have 20 guys, have the ability to add three more uh, before the season opener. So the 12 forwards, no surprises here. Uh, Pasternak, Hall, Charlie Coyle, Jake DeBrusque, Pavel Zaka, Craig Smith, Patrice Bergeron, David Krejci, Trent Frederick, Tomas Nosek, and uh, Jack Stadnika and AJ Greer. So great to see Stadnika make the roster. I think I'm the Looking forward to seeing what he can do this season. Um, and then on defense, Hampus Lindholm, Brandon Carlo, uh, Matt Grizzlick, Derek Forbert, Jakob Zaborl, and Connor Clifton, and then Olmark and Swayman, the goaltender. So the Bruins have the ability to bring on three more guys. So it's probably going to be three of Felino, Wagner, Riley, and Strawman. So me personally, I don't really see an issue with bringing in Strawman. I think the Bruins could use an extra body and an extra right-handed shot. I think someone that just plays a nice kind of calm game. Riley obviously has his strengths with his ability to move the puck and jump up into the play, but I think if Grizzlick is going to be healthy very soon, you know, Grizzlick and Riley are kind of similar players, so it leads me to believe that Riley perhaps could be the odd man out if the Bruins do sign Strawman, I mean, the other thing with Riley, though, is like when the Bruins get fully healthy, when McAvoy comes back, 
he's probably going to be the odd man out anyway, so I can't really see him sticking around unless the Bruins, unless, you know, Strawman decides he doesn't want to sign a contract. In that case, the Bruins will probably bring Riley on as that seventh defenseman. Felino and Wagner, you know, kind of interesting there. Uh, Felino, you know, we know what he brings to the locker room and the team culture, but I think his play on the ice has left a lot to be desired. Uh, Chris Wagner is a guy that plays hard, and, you know, I could see him making the roster. I think that he gave a good element to the Bruins in the playoff run last year um, in some games with Carolina. So that is kind of what remains to be decided with the Bruins roster before Wednesday night. So likely you're going to see a decision from Strawman, and then the Bruins will make a call. Felino, Wagner, Riley. You know, chances are one of those guys is down in Providence. You know, curious to see which guy that is. Um, taking a quick look at the Bruins' schedule for the first week of the season. Obviously, they're in Washington tomorrow. And then the Bruins have their home opener Saturday against the Arizona Coyotes. So that will be exciting. I said to someone the other day that, you know, Washington is a good, entertaining team that the Bruins always seem to play entertaining games when they play the Capitals. You know, whether that's good entertainment or bad, I always feel like something something crazy always happens uh, in, a, in games like that, whether someone gets hurt, there's a crazy overtime or shootout moment, you know, or there's like a crazy blowout. You know, I'm just hoping the Bruins can get out of that game unscathed, uh, not have to deal with any kind of crazy stuff. Uh, whether it's an injury or whatever, uh, but it's exciting. You know, it's a great time of year to be a Bruins fan, and then, you know, home opener against Arizona is going to be awesome. Be all kinds of uh, festivities for the home opener, so that will be uh, very exciting. But yeah, Bruins hockey is finally here. Bruins will kick it off Wednesday to, or tomorrow night on TNT in the nation's capital. So we will now move on to talk about the Celtics. And the preseason uh, rolls on for them as they have had uh, three preseason games. Two of them were last week. Uh, Celtics with an overtime loss to the Raptors and then a win against the Hornets. You know, obviously you don't want to read too much into results um, in the preseason. But I think the Celtics did have a pretty solid game against the Hornets. You know, fell behind early. Uh, this was Friday night's game in Greensboro. Uh, the Bruins fell, the, the Celtics fell behind early, uh, but then really seemed to find their groove. And there were a lot of different guys that played well um, in that game. But I do think that, and I, I think I may have said this after the first preseason game against the Hornets, the Celtics look ready. I think that all the guys that are starters, all the guys that are expected to play major minutes and major roles, they're all ready. You know, I think that you can already start to see the motivation of losing in the finals last year that the guys recognize and realize how close they were and I think realize that it's not a given that you're going to get back there again and I think you've seen Jalen Brown you know ready to go I know that there were some concerns that he played last Friday but he's ready to go I think he's in rhythm I think he is going to be in store for a monster season I said this to someone the other day I think he has a legitimate chance to be on an all-NBA team this year. So 
that's kind of my bold Celtics prediction for the season. You know, Jason Tatum is going to be Jason Tatum. Uh, Smart's going to be great defensively. And I think Horford is a great presence. I think Blake Griffin was a great free agent addition. I think that not expecting him to do any crazy stuff, not expecting him to jump over cars or anything like that, but I think brings a good kind of team spirit in the way that he plays. You know, that he's very unselfish, great passer, great rebounder, can give you a little bit of offense, um, as he showed Friday night. So I'm really excited about this team. And then there are, you know, other guys that I haven't even mentioned. You know, Grant Williams looks ready. Peyton Pritchard looks ready. I mean, that guy playing with the confidence that he is playing with, it is dangerous. You know, I really think that the Celtics have, you know, found a gem in him when they picked him that, you know, he's coming in this year, will probably get a lot more minutes than he did at the beginning of last year. And there's no reason I think he won't light it up. I think that the Celtics, you know, need those guys with the amount of confidence that Peyton Pritchard has. Um, and I just think his ability to shoot, his ability to get to the basket, create offense, uh, really gives this Celtics team just a whole nother added element. Uh, Derek White's another guy that I think is fantastic defensively um, and also does have the ability to slash to the basket. I think that, you know, the Celtics would like those shooting numbers to come up in the percentages, but I think at the end of the day, the shooter that he is is the shooter that he is, and, you know, if he hits a high percentage of shots, then that's great, but I don't think the Celtics are necessarily expecting him to do that, but I think as long as he can hit the, you know, open shots that he gets, whether it's shots off of, you know, a Brown or Tatum penetration, um, you know, it's just going to make them that much more that much more dangerous um, in an offensive capacity. So the great thing about this team is, you know, I don't really think wins and losses matter in the preseason, but I think the way that they're playing and the way that they are really kind of attacking the game and attacking the basket and I didn't, didn't even mention Malcolm Brogdon um, and the way that he has played really well in the preseason games that he's been in, you know, pushing the pace. And I really think that this is an offense that has the ability to be able to play at a much faster pace than they did last season. And so I think that you could see them get off to a really good offensive start, doing the right things, pushing the ball, pushing the pace, taking it to the basket, you know, penetrating, getting open shots, for shooters. Um, really excited about this team. Uh, Celtics will finish the preseason Friday night in Montreal as they take on the Raptors for a second time. Um, I think talking about this uh, preseason game that the Celtics had last week in Greensboro, North Carolina against the Hornets, there were some, you know, kind of roster bubble guys uh, that played really, really well. Uh, Justin Jackson was a guy the Celtics picked up, had a couple threes in the third quarter. I think he made three in a row at one point. He is a guy that I do think has the ability to shoot his way onto the Celtics roster. And I'm not talking that he's going to get major minutes. You know, 
Adam Taylor and I kind of talked about this, that we think that of the guys that they brought in for those um, like training camp contracts, I think Exhibit 10 contract is the, is the official name of the contract, that we're not expecting any of those guys to really kind of make much of an impact. But it is worth noting that Jackson can shoot. You know, he can knock down shots. You may have remembered him from his time at North Carolina, University of North Carolina, um, knocking down threes for the Tar Heels. So he's a guy that I think certainly the Celtics could take a look at um, because I think that even with the signing of Blake Griffin, the Celtics do have a couple of roster spots that are open. So you could see him possibly kind of grabbing an end-of-the-bench role um, I think Noah Vonley has also had a solid preseason, too. Um, started in North Carolina, had 14 points and 13 rebounds. So, you know, he's not going to do that every game. But I think bringing him onto the roster makes sense. Uh, just kind of another big, another body. You know, probably not expecting him to play major minutes. But I think if you have, you know, Horford, Blake Griffin, Grant Williams... And uh, Vonley, I think that's a pretty good uh, group of four kind of bigs, I guess. And then you have Kevin Gelly, uh, who's on that two-way. Don't expect him to play very much, but I think just having some depth there uh, makes sense. But I do think Jackson and Vonley are kind of the two guys that I think I would expect to make this team um, out of the preseason. Um, and I think the Celtics have already kind of shown what the potential starting lineup is going to look like, which I think makes a lot of sense. You know, I think going with the, uh, with going with uh, Horford at the five, Tatum at the four, and then Brown um, and Derek White and Marcus Smart, I think that gives them possibly the best defensive lineup that they could possibly put out there. Um, and I think it makes a lot of sense because then that way you can bring Grant Williams off the bench. You can bring Brogdon off the bench. You can bring on, you know, Peyton Pritchard. You can bring on some of those bench guys that I think will, will play well with Brogdon and his ability to push the pace. You know, I think that the Celtics have always envisioned that Brogdon's going to be that sixth man coming off the bench. Um, and I like that. You know, it doesn't give him... He doesn't have to start. He doesn't have to kind of have all that pressure. Hopefully he's not playing large minutes. You know, he probably will still play a lot of minutes, but hopefully it's not starting minutes and he can kind of come in with that second unit. Let's say the starters are having a bad shooting night. You know, he's a guy that can kind of ignite that group off the bench to get to the basket, make plays, get to the free throw line and things like that. So really excited to see what he can do with that second unit, assuming that this is the direction the Celtics go. Um, I will also say one of the stars of the preseason has been Sam Hauser and his ability to shoot and, you know, almost makes you forget that the Celtics signed Danilo Gallinari with the way that Hauser is shooting. And look, he's not going to shoot at an 80% clip for the entire season. That's just not, not feasible. But I think if he's making shots around 40%, you know, that's good enough for me. And I honestly think that he hustles 
and plays decent defense, almost to the point that it might actually be better than Gallinari. Not trying to say that he's better than Gallinari, but I think if Sam can shoot the lights out like that, you know, it'll make you think that, okay, this is unbelievably ridiculous that the Celtics could have also had a healthy Danilo Gallinari on this team. You know, when you see them playing as well as they are offensively, it makes you think it's almost unfair that they caught Gallinari. Um, but I think Hauser's another guy that off the bench could, you know, take advantage of Gallinari's injury and have a guy that could get an opportunity. It really seems like the Celtics have a very deep team, even without Gallinari, even without a healthy Rob Williams. This Celtics team is going to be very, very good. Um, and I do think that if it's possible, I do think there are people sleeping on this team. I honestly think that, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I do think that there are people that don't think the Celtics uh, are good enough to get back to the finals. And let me tell you, they absolutely are. And I'm not just being a homer here. Like, I think with the way that they are playing and the way that they are probably going to play with a quicker offensive pace, they're going to be really good. You know, this is a team that I think wins at least 55 games. They could possibly win 60 this year. I think they're a very, very good team. Um, so you'll see this team in action Friday night in Montreal. Celtics take on the Toronto Raptors. Curious to see if this is kind of a dress rehearsal regular season game. So curious to see what that looks like. That game is a 7 o'clock start on NBC Sports Boston. So now we're going to get to the Revolution. Unfortunately, the season came to an end on Sunday. Revolution tying with the Chicago Fire. Really just kind of a microcosm of their season this game. Uh, the Revs obviously had been eliminated from playoff contention uh, the week before, or actually before they even started the game last week. Uh, so kind of ended the way that the whole season went. You know, the Revs uh, take the lead on Dylan Barrera's beautiful goal um, in the 87th minute, and then three minutes later, they're to fire, tie the game off of, you know, defensive breakdown, miscommunication, whatever you want to call it, and it just seemed like that was just kind of the story of the whole season, that, you know, the Revs would be able to take leads late in games, but be just be as easy just to give the lead right back. And so I think, you know, unfortunately, it's a team that dropped points way too often this year and I think didn't have the right continuity in terms of the offensive players and the chances that they could try to generate. Um, it just really never happened. You know, I think that the defense had its struggles late in games. And, you know, you really couldn't get goals when you needed it in big games. And, you know, the Revs went into some big stretches of games where they dropped points, you know, lost or, or tied or things like that. And I think it just ended up being a really frustrating season. And, you know, season ends the same way, or the, the final game ends the way that the season kind of went, that the Revs really never got into a rhythm. You know, I think having to play some of those different types of tournaments and uh, games early on in the season kind of threw them for a loop and, you know, had a couple guys that people were excited about that they brought in in 
the offseason, and they ended up not even finishing the year with the team. So, you know, I think the Revs can hope that they can finally be healthy, that, you know, guys like Vrioni and Barrero can be healthy and ready to go by the time the season starts, and you can have Heagle and Bo, and you can be a really dangerous offensive team. But it just never came together for this group this year. So, you know, the Revs, after finishing with, you know, 72 points or whatever it was, you know, finished the year this year with 43 points and in um, 10th place in the East, I believe. So, you know, just is, is frustrating for a team that I think had a lot of had a lot of hopes going into the season that they were going to be able to, you know, rebound and or rebound from a playoff loss last season and be able to kind of take this the whole way, but it just never really materialized. So, you know, the Revs will regroup and get ready for the start of the season that, you know, comes in March. You know, one of the positives, though, that came out of the Revolution this week is they have signed uh, George A. Petrovich to a new contract, so he is in... Uh, locked in for the next three years, which is great. Um, you know, he was really kind of the sole, I don't want to say sole bright spot, but one of the few bright spots of the season uh, was outstanding. Revs got him on the loan from a team in Europe, and he's been unbelievable. Um, you know, big guy, really tall, and I think that the people really kind of didn't know what to expect from him. Uh, but he was outstanding, so it's great to see that he uh, will be in the fold for the revolution, and, you know, hopefully it's a better season for this team next year with kind of the disappointing way that this season ended. So, you know, speaking of disappointing seasons and ends to seasons, the Red Sox uh, finished the season uh, on the bright side, actually finished with a uh, three game sweep of the Rays last week. Red Sox finishing at 78, 84, you know, clearly not the season that we all expected. You know, it's kind of interesting. There's some parallels between the Revolution and the Red Sox, you know, two teams that were unbelievable last year and, you know, couldn't really follow it up the next season. So, you know, definitely another frustrating end to another season. Uh, the Red Sox did, although had, did have, the front office did have some interesting things to say. I think after the season was over, there was like a a press conference with Heim Bloom, Alex Cora, Sam Kennedy, and I think Brian O'Halloran, um, and, you know, some comments made by, by Bloom and them, you know, made it sound like Xander Bogarts is a priority for them to try to re-sign. I think that he was taking a trip to Aruba after the season. And so the Red Sox hopefully, you know, be, will be able to meet with him and meet with his people uh, probably sometime this week. So hopefully the Red Sox can get something done with him. You know, I think that it's good to hear that they are wanting to be aggressive with Xander and they want to say, hey, you're our number one priority. We want to get you signed. You know, getting him endeavors signed are kind of the biggest things that are on their docket right now. So it's good to hear. You know, I think it's good to hear that hopefully there's some clarity with both of these guys because I think you really need to have both of these guys in the fold. And, you know, the full expectation is Xander will opt out of the final year of his contract and become a free agent. But you know, hopefully the Red Sox don't even let it get to that point, you know, that they can kind of give him a new contract and then they can work on, you know, long-term for Devers to keep both of these guys 
with this team for the foreseeable future. Um, and then they can focus on the off season and look at, okay, how do we make this team better? What are the ways that we can improve? You know, corner outfield, what's going on at first base? You know, what what ways do we figure out to to clean up that bullpen? You know, do they sign a starter? Do they sign two? You know, make some decisions on the free agents that they have. So for me, I think it's pretty easy to go through uh, the five free agents that the Red Sox do have. There are other guys that I think are eligible for arbitration, player options, team options, and things like that. Uh, but there are five guys who are free agents. And, you know, obviously J.D. Martinez, kind of the big one, um, I think was great here for the majority of his time with the Red Sox. You know, the power numbers were down this year. And unfortunately, I think the Red Sox are going to move on and try to see if they can find um, some power elsewhere. But, you know, that's not to say that J.D. JD did not have an excellent career here. I think... Uh, Definitely one of the better free agent signings that the Red Sox have had in quite some time. So I don't expect him back. Um, Matt Strong is another guy the Red Sox signed. Uh, reliever in the bullpen, you know, was okay. But I, it's, it's hard for me to see them re-signing him. You know, he is a left-hander, which, you know, is always interesting that, you know, you want to try to keep a lefty specialist or two. So... I kind of could go either way. I personally wouldn't re-sign him because I think you can get, you know, similar help elsewhere. You know, those relievers are not typically very expensive. So, you know, finding finding other guys is not too difficult. You know, Rich Hill is another free agent. And I think at his age, 44, I'd be surprised if the Red Sox bring him back because they think that, you know, he can still pitch. But it's just at his age, you can't really expect too much from him other than him maybe being a fifth starter. Um, so I don't think that he gets re-signed. I'd be very surprised. Um, the two other guys that I think are legitimate, really difficult decisions are Nathan Evaldi and Michael Waka. Waka, I think it's obvious that you should re-sign him. He was excellent this year on a very cheap deal. Um, but there is something that you know I've thought about that Okay, Sale's coming back. Okay, James Paxton is going to come back. He didn't pitch for the Red Sox this season. What does that tell you? Does that tell you that, you know, Waka, is he in their plans? He should be. He was the Red Sox best starting pitcher this season, um, and it wasn't even close. So I would like to see him get brought back. You know, I think that there are other teams that will look at the year that he had and want to be able to kind of pay up, but I think the Red Sox should make every effort to keep him Nathan Navaldi is a really tough decision. I think that it's probably the toughest decision the Red Sox have this offseason. You know, I don't count Devers and Bogarts as being tough decisions because they're not. But, you know, Ivaldi has his positives. You know, I think that can still be kind of a decent front of the rotation guy. I don't think he's a number one, but I think he's still a solid pitcher. His performance in the postseason precedes him. You know what he can do then, but it's, you know, you kind of don't know what you're going to get from him in the regular season in terms of him being healthy. You know, he's getting up there in age, and I think that you have to, you're going to have to make a tough decision here. And I think if the Red Sox don't re-sign him, they probably try to go out and get a big money starter. 
And I think, you know, if they decide to keep Evaldi, they probably should add as well. Um, it's just hard. It is really, really hard because of his injury history. But, you know, he's great in the postseason um, and I think can still pitch when he's healthy. But, you know, I don't know. It's really a it's really a 50-50 call. I really don't think that I have any qualms about keeping him as long as it's not too expensive. I mean, I think that that's, for me, what it comes down to. If the Red Sox re-sign him, you know, don't make it expensive. He's not signing a four-year, $68 million deal like he did a couple years ago. He's not going to do that. But I think that you could get him for two years and get him for something fairly cheap. Um, but I could see the Red Sox also moving on. So, you know, this is re is re he's really a 50-50 guy, but I wouldn't hate seeing him stick around uh, for another couple seasons. Um, so that's kind of what the story is for the Red Sox. You know, keep you updated uh, throughout the offseason. Any news that comes up, you know, trades or free agent signings, I mean, you're probably not going to see any activity until after the World Series. However, I do think the Red Sox have the ability to re-sign Bogarts between now and whenever he opts out, whatever point he can. Maybe it's like the fourth or fifth day of the World Series. So, you know, hopefully the Red Sox can get something done with him before then so he doesn't have to, you know, become a free agent. I think that's his opt-out deadline. So hopefully we don't even get to that point. So I think that's going to be it for the local teams. We're going to move on, get to some NFL Week 5, get to some baseball playoffs. Um, obviously, NFL Week 5 got started with Thursday Night Football in a uh, injury-filled, kind of slow-moving game. The Colts with the overtime win over the Broncos. Russell Wilson, another tough game. Tough game. Had a couple of very poor decisions, including the uh, play, I think it was at the end of regulation, where he missed um, an open receiver. So, you know, Broncos continue to have issues offensively. And, you know, the Colts, uh, you know, grind it out. You know, they're a team that uh, has had a tough start to the season as well, but getting their record back to 500 is uh, a good thing to see for them. You know, the Broncos just continue to have issues. You know, Javante Williams is out for the season. So um, this is a team that's really not in a great position. And then there's news that Russell Wilson is also playing through a shoulder, a, a lat injury. So, you know, something to watch for, for that team. Uh, Patriots, obviously, with a win over the Lions. The Giants beat the Packers on Sunday morning in London. And the Giants somehow are 4-1. and one. Uh, The Packers blowing a second-half lead. A 10-point second-half lead. So uh, the Giants, Saquon Barkley, with a couple of big plays. Uh, just kind of don't know what to make of this Green Bay team. They don't really know what to make of the Giants team. But, you know, they're playing a good... They're playing winning football, I guess. You know, not doing anything that's necessarily flashy, but they're winning games. And that's, you know, kind of the important thing. Wins count for... Wins count the same in the NFL, so... Uh, the Giants with a good comeback win, so they improved to four and one. Packers fall to three and two. The Bills, no problem with the Steelers. 
uh, destroyed them, 38-3. to Gabriel Davis, uh, 171 yards on three receptions, had a 98-yard touchdown, and I think a 62-yard touchdown. Um, I think is the first player ever to have a 90-yard touchdown in the first 90 seconds of game or something like that. So the Bills romp over the Steelers, 38-3. to Pittsburgh falls to 1-4. and Bills improve to 4-1. and The Chargers outlasted the Browns, 30-28. to Chargers improve to 3-2. and Browns fall to 2-3. and Austin Eckler with a career game, 173 yards rushing. Mike Williams, 134 yards receiving. So the Chargers improve to, uh, or get over 500, I should say. Uh, the Vikings improved to 4-1, outlasting the Bears. 29-22, Kirk Cousins, Dalvin Cook with some good games. Justin Jefferson, 150 yards receiving. So uh, the Vikings improving to 4-1, Bears fall to 2-3. Another really exciting game involving the Seahawks. Uh, High-flying offense scored 32 points, but it wasn't enough as the Saints scored 39 and beat the Seahawks. Taysom Hill, three rushing touchdowns, including a 60-yarder. So Geno Smith, another really strong game. He's had a very good season. Oddly enough, Tyler Lockett, two touchdown catches for the Seahawks, but the Saints win 39-32. Both teams sit at 2-3. and three. The Dolphins suffered another hit at quarterback as Ted, Teddy Bridgewater had to leave the game, and the Jets dominate the Dolphins 40-17. to 17. Um, Zach Wilson, you know, solid game, no touchdown passes, but uh, the Jets thoroughly dominated with five rushing touchdowns in this game. So both teams now 3-2. and two. The Buccaneers get a uh, lucky break late in that game to beat the Falcons, twenty-one to fifteen. A roughing the passer called was, a roughing the passer was called on the Falcons, which uh, was honestly a f- one of the worst roughing the passer calls I've ever seen. So the Buccaneers uh, able to use that to run out the clock, so they improved to three and two. Falcons dropped to two and three. They were down twenty-one nothing going into the fourth came back to 21-15, but ultimately could not get the ball back. So the Bucks over 500. The Titans beating the Commanders. Commanders fall to 1-4. Carson Wentz, 359 yards passing in the loss. Titans improved to 3-2. Derrick Henry, two touchdown recept, two touchdown uh, carries in this game. The Texans get their first win of the season, beating the Jags 13-6. Damian Pierce with 99 yards and a touchdown for Houston. Texans improved to 1-3-1. and one. Jaguars fall to 2-3. The 49ers with a dominant win over the Panthers, 37-15. Baker Mayfield, I believe, injured in this game. Um, and then Matt Rule actually was fired yesterday, so the Panthers uh, fired their coach after a blowout loss to the 49ers, 37-15. Jimmy Garoppolo, two passing touchdowns. For the 49ers, who improved to 3-2, and two, Panthers fall to 1-4. and four. The Cowboys, with an excellent defensive game against the Rams, they win 22-10. Cooper Rush is 4-0, starting quarterback, so the Cowboys get the win 22-10. Tony Pollard with a rushing touchdown. Uh, Cooper Cup with a good game for the Rams, but they fall 
to Dallas. Rams fall to two and three. Cowboys at four and one. The Eagles beating the Cardinals to stay undefeated, twenty to seventeen. The final. Eagles were down in the fourth quarter in this game. So Jalen Hurts, two rushing touchdowns in this one. Cardinals fall to two and three as their game tying field goal missed. Uh, the Ravens, speaking of field goals, uh, beat the Bengals with a game winning field goal. Justin Tucker, nineteen to seventeen. The Ravens win. Just automatic for that guy. Uh, Ravens win nineteen seventeen. Ravens three and two. Bengals two and three. And then last night, the Chiefs outlasting the Raiders, thirty to twenty-nine. The Raiders uh, unable to get field goal range. Actually went for two late in the fourth quarter. Did not work. So the Chiefs win thirty to twenty-nine. Chiefs are four and one, and the Raiders one and four. Despite Devontae Adams having a monster game, two touchdowns on three receptions. So taking a look. At Major League Baseball, taking a look at the playoffs, uh, kind of give you a quick recap in terms of the uh, wild card series. Um, then the division series uh, start later today. Um, so the wild card series started out with Tampa Bay and Cleveland. Cleveland winning both games, uh, two to one in the first game, and then one to nothing in 15 innings. In the second game, a walk off win for the Cleveland uh, Guardians, I should say. Oscar Gonzalez with a walk-off home run. So Cleveland beating Tampa Bay in the wild-card series. And then in the other wild-card series in the American League, the Mariners beating Toronto 4-0 and then 10-9 in Game 2. Toronto is up 8-1 in this... I think they were up 8-1 in the fifth inning. Seattle comes all the way back uh, winning that series 2 out of 3. So they win both games. So... Uh, Cleveland will advance to play the Yankees. Seattle will play the Astros. And then in the other wildcard series in the National League, Philadelphia winning both games against St. Louis, 6-3 to and then 2 to nothing. That game one was crazy. Philadelphia scoring six runs um, in the top of the ninth to steal game one. And then Aaron Nola was outstanding in game two. So the Phillies win both games. They will play the Braves in the division series. And then the Padres eliminating the Mets with a two outstanding pitching performances, Hugh Darvish in Game 1, um, and then Joe Musgrove in Game 3. So the Padres eliminate the Mets two games to one. That was the only series that went more than two games. So now we have the division series that start uh, this afternoon. The Phillies will travel to Atlanta. 1 o'clock start there, Seattle and Houston at 3.37 in Houston, Cleveland, and New York in the Bronx at 7.37, and then San Diego and Los Angeles at 9.37. So looking at each of these series, I was very impressed with Philadelphia um, in the division series. I think they were the team I was most impressed with. So it's interesting, the theme of this division series is division opponents, you know, three of the four series are between teams that competed in the same division. So I think you kind of throw all expectations out the window when you have two teams in within the division, two teams that know each other very, very well with Philadelphia, Atlanta, Seattle, Houston, and then San Diego and Los Angeles. Those teams, they know each other very well. So 
it could make for a very exciting series. You know, I think uh, do not count out the underdog teams um, in any of these series. You know, I think all the teams with buys are playing with a little bit of pressure that, you know, they did not have the opportunity to play in the wildcard series. And I think all of these teams maybe weren't necessarily expected to win. So I think all the away teams are coming in with nothing to lose. So it makes them very dangerous. I think Seattle is very dangerous. Um, San Diego, I think just with their ability to pitch um, and the star power that they have, they're very dangerous. But I also think Cleveland and New York, that series could be interesting um, because Cleveland's a young team, youngest team in the league, actually. And going up against the Yankees team, that there's a lot of huge expectations on this team. Um, and I think especially after they didn't play well in the second half of the season. The second half of the season, obviously, you have Aaron Judge with the 62 home runs breaking the um, American League record for home runs in a season. So he's obviously great. He's had a great season, but I think that there are a lot of expectations on the Yankees and Cleveland's coming in, no expectation. I don't really think there was an expectation that they were going to beat Tampa Bay. I mean, who knows, but it's a young team. It's a dangerous team that can pitch well, has a really good bullpen. And, you know, the Yankees, there's always going to be a lot of kind of extra pressure um, with that team. So curious to see what goes on in that series. But I honestly think, do not be surprised if all the top seeds go down. I don't think that it's going to happen, but I think that there is a distinct possibility that it could happen. So curious to see what goes on in game ones today, NLDS, ALDS, best of five. So now we're going to look some uh, notes from the National Hockey League as this season gets underway tonight. A couple of games, Tampa Bay in New York to play the Rangers, and then Vegas and uh, Los Angeles Kings will play both of these games on ESPN. So, uh, yeah, hockey's back on ESPN for the second year in a row. And then, obviously, games fully get underway. Wednesday night, Bruins play against... Washington, and then uh, Chicago, Colorado at 9.30 on TNT. So a couple of games on national TV. Not the number one pick. Uh, Juraj Slavkovsky will start the season with the Canadians. Uh, the Maple Leafs sending Wayne Simmons to the AHL, I think, to get under the cap. Um, a couple of contracts, Derek Broussard. Gets a one-year deal with the Senators after he had signed a PTO. Um, and then Nick Haig signing a three-year deal with Vegas. So, season starts tonight for the NHL. Uh, I think it's going to be another crazy season. Um, I really think that there are a number of teams that have the possibility or have the ability to win the whole thing. Um, I think clearly the Avalanche are going to be favored um, in terms of winning Uh, in terms of winning the cup back-to-back. -back. Uh, but I do think that there are some other teams that have a very good chance, too. I mean, I think that uh, you look at a team like the Rangers, I think they're built to be good. Uh, I think that Tampa Bay might have a little bit of a regression. 
you know, losing key guys like Ryan McDonough and Andre Palat. You know, they obviously still have a lot of great returning players, but I think losing McDonough, losing Palat, you know, might cost them in the playoffs. I still think they're going to be a good team, but I do think the Rangers have a very good chance to be good and contend for, for a Stanley Cup. Um, I do really think the Atlantic is up for grabs, and I really think it favors the Bruins because, you know, you look at Toronto, there's questions in goal. You know, you look at Florida, did they truly get better with the Kachuk trade? You know, that's kind of up for debate. Ottawa did a lot of flashy things in terms of their forwards, but their starting goalies out for a few months. The defense isn't very good. So, you know, this is a Bruins team that I think when they get fully healthy, they could legitimately challenge to win the division. And I know people think that that's crazy, but just kind of look at the other teams. The Bruins are kind of a team that you kind you kind of know what you're going to get. And especially when they're fully healthy, you kind of know what they're you kind of know what the team is going to be. There are a lot of bigger questions for some of the other teams in the Atlantic. Um, I think out west, Calgary could contend. I think that you know losing Gaudreau obviously was tough. Losing Kachuk was tough, but I think Huberto is probably going to be just as good as he was in Florida. Mackenzie Wegar just signed a big deal. I do think he's a very good right-shot defenseman, one of the better in the league. So I think that they could be very good, but I do think you look at Colorado, I don't really think that there's going to be a team that could legitimately challenge them, you know, unless something crazy happens. Vegas, really not sure about their goaltending. I mean, clearly have Mark Stone, Jack Eichel coming back, but... You know, they lost Pacioretty, and, you know, Carolina, I think, is going to be good. Pacioretty, Brent Burns, some big moves that they made. Um, Pittsburgh's always going to be in the in the fight, but I do honestly think the Stanley Cup is kind of the avalanche to lose, and I do think there's a very good chance that they could get back to the final and possibly win it again. But me personally, I do like the Rangers in the East, and, you can call me a homer all you want, but I like the Bruins in the East too. So that's uh, going to be a very exciting season and we'll keep you updated throughout the year um, as to the goings on. So before we get to some college football, take a little bit look, take a little bit of a look at the NBA with the preseason in full swing. Regular season gets underway a week from tonight. Uh, Celtics and Sixers will tip the season and then the Warriors and the Lakers will play later on. Just some notes, uh, Lonzo, or excuse me, Lamella Ball is going to undergo tests on a sprained ankle. Um, and obviously there was the big news that the uh, Golden State Warriors had some uh, issues in their practice with Draymond Green uh, punching Jordan Poole. So Draymond Green apparently is going to take time away from the team. I'll be honest, I'm kind of surprised he hasn't been suspended. Um, I think that they're... Could be a lot of issues with this, with Golden State and, you know, bringing back Draymond Green long term. I mean, I think there certainly is precedent for a player to be suspended for something like this. But, you know, the team can handle it the way that they want. But I do think that going through something like that, there are there is a possibility that, you know, damage could be irreparable. And I know that 
he's a big part of the culture in Golden State, you know, the fact that they've won so many championships, but, you know, something like this, you want, you want your kind of veteran guys to be able to make an, to set an example, and I don't think that something like this really sends that message that, or it's sent, and unfortunately sends that message that it's like, okay, one of the culture guys is, you know, gets into it with a teammate and punches them. You know, it's not, it's not, you know, a charged moment where two guys are pushing, two, two guys are pushing each other and, you know, are both really kind of heightened and into it. You know, I kind of liken it to, you know, like dust-ups in, in, in NFL training camp. That yeah, there are two guys that are battling really hard and they get into, you know, a scuffle pushing and things, but it's like, this was a lot worse than that. You know, if you've watched the video, you can see that it does look a lot worse than just a scuffle. You know, it's a serious situation where, you know, someone punches someone and... You know, it's just an unfortunate situation that's happened for uh, that team and that and that organization because I do think that as much as they won the championship last season, I think they have a chance to actually be even better with the return of James Wiseman with him being healthy. So just something to watch with that team moving forward um, before we... Or actually, we will get to college football. I don't know why I just said that, but... Take a look at some of the uh, rankings this week. A lot of changeover. Uh-huh. There were a lot of changes in the top 10, despite no one losing. Um, Alabama fell two spots after they narrowly beated, narrowly defeated Texas A&M. So they dropped to three. Uh, Clemson moves up to four. Michigan falls to five um, after their win against Iowa. They did not look good in the first half. USC and Oklahoma State won in their games, but they felt just they each fell a spot. And Tennessee jumped up to six after their dominating win over um, LSU on Saturday. Some other teams that that rose, um, UCLA rising to eleven after their win against Utah, Mississippi State jumping up to sixteen after beating Arkansas. Um, and Syracuse jumping up to 18 after their win. Some teams that fell, Kentucky falling to 22, Utah falling to 20, um, and then Texas, Illinois. And James Madison made their way into the top 25 poll. I think that James Madison is transitioning into being a um, FBS team. So that is why they're there. They're playing really good football. Um, in their first year coming over from the FCS to the FBS. So they are in the top 25 for the first time ever. Texas is in the top 25, or no, Illinois is in the top 25 for the first time in uh, over 10 years. So taking a look at week seven, I got some great games for everyone. Uh, Saturday at noon, 10th ranked Penn State, 5th ranked Michigan, so a good top 10 battle, and then there's another top 10 battle at 330, third-ranked Alabama, travels to sixth-ranked Tennessee, um, also at 330, eighth-ranked eighth Oklahoma State, 13th-ranked 
uh, TCU. Also a 3:30, another 3:30 game between ranked opponents, 15th NC State and 18th Syracuse. And then at night there are two top 25 battles: Mississippi State at 16 against 22 Kentucky, and then seventh ranked USC against 20th ranked Utah. Utah will be out for revenge after their loss to UCLA. So I think that's probably going to do it for me this week. Uh, there was a lot. There was a lot this week, and hopefully, folks enjoyed. Um, and as always, you can listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. You can uh, follow the social pages, and you know any type of uh, anything, any things that you guys want me to talk about. Don't hesitate uh, to reach out. And uh, looking forward to Guest Friday this week. So we will uh, be back with you, folks. Then, all right, everyone, have a good rest of your day and a good rest of your week.